Hello and welcome to American Breakthrough, a podcast from the United States Conference of Mayors. I'm your host, Greg Fisher, Mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, and President of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. This is really an extraordinary time of challenge and opportunity for the cities of America. When you put together the pandemic, the recession, the protests for racial justice, the opportunity is ripe for breakthrough. And mayors all over America are leading us through these turbulent times. This is the maiden voyage for this podcast, and I couldn't be more delighted to be joined by two great friends and leaders for our first episode. Today, I'm joined by the United States Conference of Mayors Vice President and great mayor of Dayton, Ohio, Nan Whaley, and the U.S. Conference of Mayors Second Vice President, Miami's Mayor Francis Suarez. We're going to be talking about something that every community and every family is dealing with, the dastardly coronavirus, as well as what the federal government needs to be doing, not only to help recover from the crisis, but to really move us forward to an American breakthrough. First up is the great mayor of Miami, Mayor Suarez. As I mentioned, Mayor Suarez serves as our second vice president here at the Conference of Mayors, and his state of Florida has become a hotspot, unfortunately, for COVID-19 since June. Mayor Suarez, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Mr. President. It's an honor to be here with you. So, Mayor Suarez, just to start, I was hoping you could talk about the state of the coronavirus pandemic in your city today, where things stand, and how your community is responding. Thank you for the opportunity, Mr. President. Uh, you know, as you said before, we have become sort of a hotspot uh, for coronavirus in the United States. And to put the numbers in perspective, at when we issued a stay-at-home order in March-April, um, the peak number of cases was 533 cases. Um, our peak number of cases in July was 3,500 cases. So that's a 700% increase from our peak uh, when we implemented a stay-at-home order. And that's per day? No, that is per day. Exactly. It's 3,500 cases per day. Um, and, and that is the peak number of new cases that we've gotten in one day. Um, the slope, which is the way that you measure the curve of new cases uh, in its, its peak ascendancy curve was 125 new cases per day, uh, not total cases, but new cases additional cases. And so um, that that curve, the slope of that curve has actually diminished um, and flattened uh, to uh, a total of 17 new cases per day rate of increase. So um, just to give an example, if we had 3,500, the next day we'd have 3,517, the next day we'd have 3,534, et cetera, et cetera. So that, as opposed to uh, 3,625, you know, 3,750, uh, 3,875, exact. So, so the rate of growth has actually diminished in the city, which means that our remediation uh, factors have uh, started to, to, to produce fruit. So yeah, as you know, my wife had the virus in March and suffered for 13 days. And you have a unique perspective as a mayor because tell us a little bit about your journey through the virus. So I was a second person infected in Miami-Dade County. Uh, I was patient two and I was quarantined for 18 days. Uh, I tested positive multiple times when I was in quarantine and didn't test negative until my first test, uh, uh, which was in day 17. I had to test uh, negative two times in uh, 24 hours to be able to leave quarantine. So I tested negative on day 17 and on day 18. Uh, but it was, it put, you know, this uh, entire pandemic in perspective in terms of what are the things that you need to do to lead through this crisis in terms of the fact that you know, I was fairly asymptomatic, so I, I understood the danger of, of, of people who are asymptomatic carriers that could be spreaders. And that's something that's very, very difficult and challenging for us to get a, a handle on now. And tell me a little bit, as a mayor and a local leader is so closely connected with your community, 
uh, how's your day-to-day work actually changed during this crisis and what goes into managing a pandemic like this? It has become, as you can imagine, coronavirus centric. So at 9 a.m. today, for example, today's a good day because Monday, Wednesday, Fridays are very similar. I have a call with the Department of Health. It usually runs between an hour and an hour and a half. And there we go through uh, all our statistics, all our daily statistics, all our trends. We have biostatisticians, we have epidemiologists, and we also have hospital uh, administrators so that they give us the hospital perspective of how we're doing on capacity. That's one of the calls. At three, we have a call with all the mayors and the county mayor um, so we can try to have a unified policy uh, that, um, you know, would reduce confusion. And at four, I have a call with uh, all the hospitals. And so uh, even though our 9 a.m. call has one hospital representative who kind of gives us a broad perspective, at the four o'clock call, we have all the hospital uh, representatives. So, um, you know, that's just something that we do every day. And we're getting a ton of data to be able to make actionable decisions uh, that benefit our residents. One of the first initiatives that that I had as president of the conference here on July 1st was to establish a work group on COVID-19 and health equity. So we know the coronavirus is having disproportionate impacts on communities of color. What are you seeing in Miami? What we see in Miami is, you know, we're a a city that's unique in that we're minority majority um, in, in many ways. What we do see is there's no doubt that there's disparities among lower income versus upper income. You know, people who are upper income have the ability uh, to get tested quicker. They can. Uh, they have the ability to isolate their families. Um, they have. They have. They have the ability to leave Miami if if they needed to, and 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 then they have the ability to to take off of work. So they can take. You know. Uh, they can be in a stay at home order for a month, uh, without having to worry about childcare for their their kids uh, at school and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, we've created uh, working with the state isolation room, hotel room. So people who live in one bedroom and two bedroom apartments can isolate if they need to without getting the rest of their family sick. We're struggling through what we're going to do with uh, obviously the school year about to begin and understanding, um, you know, that there are parents uh, who need uh, potentially for work reasons to have their kids in school, but we don't want to subject the kids to danger and the parents to danger, frankly, because the kids can contract it and can spread it to the home. So we're grappling with a variety of different issues. And of course, the unemployment numbers are awful. Um, you know, and, and we're trying to get as much help from the CARES Act, which we haven't received any money yet as a city because we're under 500,000 population. And we're trying to get as much of federal help out the door to help people with mortgage payments, rent payments, and, and with their businesses. Yeah. What's been the impact of this on your city budget? This year, uh, we have a $25 million deficit. And next year we have uh, a projected $30 million deficit. So, and the $25 million deficit I'll, I'll say is we had, a, we had a $20 million surplus going into COVID. So it's really a $45 million deficit because we went from a $20 million surplus to a $25 million deficit. So it's had a $45 million fiscal impact on this year's budget. And it, it, we have a looming $30 million deficit. And so we're faced with the decision of, do we uh, raise taxes, which we're not gonna do, uh, we certainly couldn't do that because we've mandated closures and it would be incredibly unfair. Do we cut back services? I mean, these are our first responders who are the ones that are on the front line of COVID. Um, you know, and so we're, we're going to struggle with it uh, this year and hope uh, we do get some federal help because we absolutely need it. And finally, Mayor, this has been a real test of leadership. What, what have you learned as a leader during this process? You know, I've learned, uh, the, you know, first of all, I've been blessed uh, by the conference and by, by being able to, to interact with people like you, Mr. President, and, and like so many other mayors, I feel like, you know, greatest thing about the, the conference is it's a sort of a mayoral support group. 
Um, so I've learned a tremendous amount, uh, best practices from a variety of other cities. Uh, I've also learned that, you know, in a crisis, you have to lean into the crisis. You have to be transparent. You have to be accessible. Uh, you have to uh, want to give information. You can't pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and, and in my humble opinion, you have to be apolitical about it. This cannot be about winning an election. This cannot be about Democrat or Republican. This has to be about, you know, the, the facts, the economy, the, you know, the healthcare experts and making the best decision that you can to, to help your residents. Well, thank you, Mayor Francis Suarez, for joining us today. And thank you for your leadership with the great United States Conference of Mayors. Thank you, President Fisher. It's it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Today, I'm joined by the United States Conference of Mayors Vice President and great mayor of Dayton, Ohio, Nan Whaley. Mayor Whaley, one of the major issues that has come from this pandemic is the economic toll on our nation. Cities have really had to pivot, mobilizing response efforts, and at the same time, tax revenue has plummeted. Can you start out and give us a brief overview of the importance of this effort to bring emergency fiscal relief to our cities? Yeah, uh, uh, Greg, it's great to be on uh, this show and excited to be on what you call the maiden voyage. I like that. Uh, uh, We, uh, as mayors, have seen and had to manage through and lead through some really difficult um, health issues over these past four months. And the priority and what we've learned is, uh, during this is that, you know, protecting people's health and keeping people safe is the top priority. And we also know that we really can't have an economic recovery without uh, a health being taken care of. And so this challenge has come from um, really when that happens, the, the economy has fallen out in a lot of our cities and most cities across the the country, and that leaves revenues really short for the really frontline services that cities provide, uh, be it fire services, EMS, uh, paving our roads, public safety. These issues are really, really key for life and death um, uh, uh, things that people need, and uh, cities are having to make really tough decisions because we aren't seeing help from the federal government in it. I want to thank you, Mayor Whaley. You're leading or co-leading the effort with the conference along with Arlington, Texas Mayor Jeff Williams to bring emergency fiscal relief to the cities. You're working with the U.S. Senate, obviously, on a strategy to do that. Mayor Whaley also serves as our vice president. So can you tell us a little bit about your effort with uh, Congress to make sure we're getting direct relief for our cities? Well, uh, with the U.S. Conference staff and uh, Mayor Williams, this is a bipartisan effort. Mayor Williams is a Republican. I'm a Democrat. And we have been really trying to get the message to our senators right now about how important it is for communities large and small to receive federal help. Uh, In the House package uh, that came out over the summer, uh, we saw a package that really Uh, took care of these issues, not only for one year, but two years, because we know that this is going to take a while for this economic recovery to happen. Uh, And now it's the work of the senators uh, to really hear the message of cities on what this means if we don't get this package. Uh, For my city, for example, it means uh, loss of revenue just this year between 9 to 13 million. We're already seeing the bottom fall out on that. 
We've already had to make painful cuts. We've already had to cut uh, and lay off folks. And without any help, we know we're going to see those cuts from police, uh, from fire services, from EMS, uh, again, those life-saving services. And we don't, we're, we're very thin as it is in cities like uh, Dayton uh, that have had um, a tough recovery through the Great Recession. So getting that message to senators so they understand that cities large and small um, are having these issues is the work that uh, Jeff and I have been doing. Uh, I think uh, the latest count is we have done, we've been to 13 states via Zoom, uh, talking to mayors and getting them active and um, making sure their senators hear from their communities and then getting those mayors to get active uh, with either, you know, their business community, the clergy, having them call their senators saying, we must have this. And uh, at least in Dayton, and I've, I've heard this across the country, uh, the mayors have gotten really good response everywhere from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to local clergy calls. People recognize the needs for these basic city services. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, the general economy cannot recover if Main Street doesn't recover through city government. Right. Uh, We've got we to provide predictable services so the economy can bounce back off of that. Already, one and a half million state and local employees have lost their jobs throughout this pandemic, which is just in a hundred plus days right now. Louisville will have a $90 million two-year problem if we don't get direct relief, which obviously will lead to uh, layoffs. And what's ironic about this is the people that have been helping us get through this pandemic and our racist uh, marches for racial justice, some of them, their jobs will be on the cutting block. So we got to do everything possible to make sure that that doesn't happen. What kind of feedback are you getting from Congress on this? Well, I mean, the senators, or at least right now, both Democrat and Republican, are telling their mayors that they're in favor of this. And we've really moved, we've seen senators move from this conversation uh, from a few months ago where we saw senators say, I don't know why you need the money, to hearing some of them, uh, Republican senators, you know, say this is as bad as World War II for your cities. And so I think that we're getting good response. We just need to keep uh, keep the advocacy going. And you're right, Greg, the issue is this whole, you know, U-shaped economy versus V-shaped economy. And there is no way you can have an economic recovery without states and cities. You know, the number of people that we employ, the services we provide for businesses to thrive, you cannot have the recovery without us in it. And we know that that is what we're all about as mayors, is we want uh, we want to get back to normal probably more than anybody else, uh, but we won't be able to do that until we take care of this health crisis and then also provide the services needed for a, a strong uh, economic recovery. We have friends in this group that we've not had in a really, you know, really in a very long time. People like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is on our side with this. Um, all of the um, uh, um, uh, folks that provide the services from FOP and fire unions are, are with us on this. To the Fed chair, you know, uh, Donald Trump's Fed chairman saying, yes, get this uh, stimulus going. So we, we have a very strong message. It's resonating with senators. We just got to uh, keep the fight out because a lot of times when things get to Washington, D.C., uh, common sense can sometimes be thrown out the window in the sausage making process. And that's what we're fighting to keep keep us at front and center in it. Well, and we're starting to hear more and more about let's learn a lesson from the 2008 Great Recession when cities and states were left behind uh, in the stimulus. And some of the experts, including the Fed chair, says that that uh, made it longer for the overall recovery to take place. Right. And that's, I think, why they're being so vocal about the state state and local funding sources that are needed. And 
Um, you know, I'm hopeful about it. Uh, I know that mayors across the country are working hard on it. Uh, and we just need them to keep on uh, uh, being that voice for their community uh, as we as we go through this. I mean, look, there you you know, we can't, we have to have balanced budgets. We have to make very tough choices. And we're already making tough choices. The, the choices that we have to make should we not get federal funding are um, life and death choices too. And it just doesn't make any sense when um, our senators and our House of Representatives can just do the right thing and make sure that cities are providing those services during um, one of the most unprecedented times of, of definitely my life and, and nearly everybody on earth. Why don't you personalize that a little bit in terms of life and death services uh, and choices? What do you mean by that in the city budget? Well, for Dayton, I can just speak. You know, we had a really tough, great recession, uh, and we actually had not recovered completely off the recession. We probably had the worst great recession next to the city of Detroit uh, because of the manufacturing sector. We're right, we're right south on 75, and we are the supply chain up and down. And so our, our job numbers were just starting to equal what they were before 10 years ago. So we had already cut uh, during that, that what you mentioned before, 40% of the workers that we had um, 15 years ago do not exist in the city of Dayton now. So there is no fat in our organization. And because of that, it means when you are at a you know, $13 million budget deficit of around a $175 million budget, um, really the only thing that we do are personnel and service delivery. And 60% of our funding is for first responders. Uh, so that means, what that means is um, there's no way to get around it without, you know, having, you know, serious cuts to our fire department, uh, decisions to not um, pave roads, um, and really losing personnel. And so that, what are you doing then? Number one, those people are the people that you call when you have a heart attack or a stroke. That means that will take them longer to get there. Um, or when you're in crisis, these are the people that come to your door. Because basically, uh, for us, you know, the only thing they get done are the 911 calls. So that 911 call will go un unanswered uh, or will take longer for us to get there, might be too late. And um, that is a decision that no mayor wants to make. And that's the decision being forced on us in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle when health crises are happening. We're saying, well, we don't really, you know, hey, America's saying, hey, we really don't want to fund those EMS you know, ambulances. And so those are the decisions that are before us. And um, I know cities in Ohio are hit particularly hard and, and quicker because we are based on an income tax. And so when people aren't working, uh, that affects our bottom line really, really fast. And it just doesn't have to be this way. You know, these people are trained to do this work and uh, we want to keep them uh, going, but there's really no other place that we're going. Those are the kind of, we don't have a lot of choices on what, we're, what we can do if we don't get this funding. So just like the virus is no joke, these cuts to local services are no joke either. It is really a question of if somebody's having a heart attack, they call 911, that service response has got to be there. They just may not make it. So we want people to really think about these issues as we ask everybody to help us advocate with the U.S. Senate for direct aid to our great cities in our country. Nan, in times like this, it's really important to focus on hope. So I'm going to ask you, what has given you hope during these difficult days? Well, you know, for the past 150 days, as we all live on Zoom uh, and miss our, uh, our friends, I've been really um, um, grateful for a couple of things. 
my dog has given me hope, being able to get to walk him every day in my neighborhood, and, uh, and the power of other mayors uh, across the state and across the country. Uh, they have, uh, we've shared experiences and I, you know, we always know, and I think we get this from the conference, Greg, that only, you know, there's not many people that know what it's like to be a mayor, but the other mayors, and there's only one mayor in each city, so it can be a lonely job. Uh, but through this pandemic, uh, the mayors across the state and country have shared experiences, have shared with each other, have supported one another, and that's where I get a lot of, uh, of my appreciation for what we can be and can do in this country. All right, quick questions to close. What's your favorite song? Oh, my favorite song is uh, the song Sam and I danced to at our wedding. It's In My Life by the Beatles. Very nice. And how do you relax? Well, I walk my dog, as I mentioned, and I do yoga with Adrienne. She's from Austin, Texas, and the mayor, Mayor Adler, actually set it up so I could meet her pre-COVID. So I do yoga with Adrienne every single morning. Awesome. And what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Louie. Uh, Sam didn't want a dog, and I talked him into it last year, and so in return, he got to name him. Perfect. Mayor Nan Whaley, U.S. Conference of Mayors, Vice President, Mayor of Dayton, Ohio. Thank you, Nan. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for doing this. That does it for our very first episode of American Breakthrough, brought to you by the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We'll have a new episode in August. Mm -hmm.